I'm Alex Travis. And I'm Maureen Friedley. This is a high horse podcast. And we are leaving egos on the ground. And today we are with Stacy Barnes. I remembered it. Stacy Barnes. Uh, Stacy and I have been friends for almost a couple years now. Uh, I interviewed her for my YouTube mm-hmm. channel a while back to talk about her story because. I, I would I would call Stacy a Mustang enthusiast. Yes. Um, that's what I'm gonna call Stacy. And we are talking about the extreme Mustang makeover today because Maureen, you just photographed for them. Um, and what a tremendous amount of work. What a tremendous undertaking that was. The amount of photos you took. Holy shit. Yeah, I, I took be there. Uh, uh, I only did two days worth of, of photos for that day and, or for that event. And I had like bet- around 10,000 plus photos that I had to go through. Yeah, that's wild. That's <laughs> wild. Um, and this happened. So the extreme Mustang makeover in Oklahoma was around the same time as the Tokyo Olympics. Um, <clears throat> so that, that's kind of what we're going to be discussing. Here. We're going to be contrasting them. And just talking about the competition a little bit. So who better to have on than Stacy? Because Stacy has done the Mustang, the Extreme Mustang Makeover, like thirty thousand times. So, so Stacy, <laughs> tell us a little bit about how you got into uh, horses in the first place, and then how you kind of transitioned into Mustangs, or if they were simultaneous. I don't know. I don't remember. No, I um. I got into horses when I was little. My mom swears I was born on a horse, uh, which I told her it must really hurt. (laughs) (laughs) I actually originally, my whole goal in life from when I was really little was to be a professional bell racer. And I worked on that for a very long time. And uh, then some life changes came in and had to sell some stuff. So stopped kind of running barrels for a little while there. And then met my husband and him and his daughter you would always go to the, the makeovers and stuff like that. <clears throat> and I had been interested in them, but never kind of went. And uh, I finally kind of started going and looking at those. And then we ended up having a, an open house in Kansas at the Hutchinson Correctional Facility. And he was like, well, let's go, go up there and, and look at them. And I was like, okay, fine. Let's go look okay. at them. And that was in June. <clears throat> so I went up there. Of course, I loved them. And I was like, I need this, ho- this horse in my life. And I started looking it up and they had the open was in 75 days for the Fort Worth makeover. And so I was like, well, let me see if I can get one of these in 75 days, you know, to do the open. And then the next year, if I think I can do it, I'll try the makeover. So I did that and uh, we went and she did awesome. I still have her. She's my baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then it just kind of went from there and I went from one Mustang to now I have 14. Holy wow. shit. Um, <laughs> see, now that's why I won't do them. That's why I won't do them. Cause I know I'll keep every last day. one of them. I've um, sold that's one. right. I sold one. Uh, one, one out of 15 <laughs> ain't bad. But well, I, have, I have two that are still rises, <laughs> but I'm not pushing it. Um, that's right. I forgot that your husband also does these competitions. He right? did the he did. challenge a few ones. 
Yeah, because yeah, and- I saw, I remember seeing pictures and a little video of him doing a freestyle with the most adorable little burrow that I've ever seen. Yeah, we still have her. Yeah, too. see, 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 <laughs> um, which is you know, and you know Brian as well, right? Brian, which one? Brian, gosh, I'm. Oh, Brian. Kino. Yeah. Texas, uh-huh. we're such a big state. Texas sure is small, isn't it? Or at least the Mustang community is small. So. Uh, and Brian ends up keeping a lot of his horses as well. Um, oh, yeah. So <laughs> he's probably got just, about just as many as you have. Um, so that's why I can't do them. I just can't, you know. I'll just, yeah. I'll just keep. It's hard. It really is hard letting them go. So end. talk to us about the format. Like start to finish. Um, what does the format for the Mustang makeover look like? Like, you pick up the horse. Yeah. You get a random horse? uh, Well, it used to be. It used to be that we had, we'd get a random horse. We'd get there and, you know, they're like, all right, here's your horse. And, you know, peace out. (laughs) Uh, But then they came up with, like, the player's choice. And the one that they always had in Fort Worth until the whole COVID thing. Uh, That one, we actually, as trainers, had an auction that we had to basically do an auction to pay for the right to train the horse we wanted. Now we, we didn't get to ha- keep this horse, you know, it still had to be auctioned off after the show, but we actually did the, an auction to try to get the right the horse we wanted. Huh. Um, that right. Mm. Yeah. I don't get the, I don't get the feel goods about that. How is the, the Mustang makeover associated with the BLM? Um, well, they like, so do they get, they get their horses, they contract the horses from the BOM or is this a partnership? Do funds go back to them? Well, they get the, the BLM, uh, basically adopts out the horses to the Mustang heritage kind of. Okay. Um, so it's like it's kind of like their tip deal, tip program they do. You know, each horse that's tipped out, Mustang Heritage gets a certain amount. Us trainers get a certain amount. Okay. Huh. Um, that's adopted, I should say. Right. Uh, but it's basically that you know, like usually Stormy's the one that goes out and picks the horses for the the makeovers. Uh-huh. Um. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes they just. It depends on what corral it is that. You know, they're getting the horses from yeah um like most of us here in texas we pick up usually from paul's valley okay uh so uh, whenever it was just the random thing you know we would just go up there they'd put a horse in your trailer you'd leave but then when they did the auction things those horses were being shipped from other corrals and stuff like that but you got to pick whatever facility was closest to you to pick up from okay Talking to the competitors at the Oklahoma city one, um, you know, that's the first one that they did after COVID. It sounds like they're making some changes via the Mustang heritage foundation. When I was talking to the competitors there, they were saying that um, they were able to pick up from wherever they wanted to and that it was their choice. Yeah. So I don't know if maybe they're making changes. Well, this was the first time they allowed that and it was actually Mm -hmm. a big old cluster and so from what I've been told, I don't know if they're actually going to allow that to happen again uh, because of the fact that there was such, I mean, there was a huge um, 
uh, difference in time spans on like, because mm. like each area, like you could, uh, it's your date from pickup started at this certain time and then it went, golly, it was probably, I, I technically we got, if we got to pick up on the very first day that they allowed, we basically got five extra weeks. What? People were just upset because they weren't able to pick up, you know, like on that first day. Yeah. Um, so it could have been, you know, where some people technically got a month, of, you know, more of training where some only maybe got two weeks worth, you know, more of training. And so there was some kind of little upsets about that here and there. And then about where we got to pick up at, you know, or from and, and the way some of the storefronts were handling it. And but it that's was any competitive environment, right? Like even if you're in gymnastics or competitive weightlifting, like when we would go to an open meet to do competitive weightlifting, um, we would like be fighting or like get pissy about when the practice area would open up so yeah. that we could, you know, so that's, that's always going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's more stressful because you're training an unhandled animal and there's just a lot of, um, there's a lot of pride that goes into, at least from what I've seen, um, into working with these animals from the competitors and, um, and a lot of exterior stress, I feel like, because yeah. so much is expected. Um, right. So Stacy, walk us through how long you get, um, to work with these animals. Usually it's anywhere from hundred to 120 days. Um, it's That's- kind of on when they they put the pickup date. So, so four months. Yeah, about. Usually it's anywhere from three and a half to four months is what we usually okay. get. And talk to us a little bit about the format or the style of the actual competition. Like you get there on competition day and what, what are the motions that you have to go through? Uh, usually when we get there and we do our check-in and they, uh, they put the number on our horse and everything. And then we, uh, you know, of course put our horses in their stalls when we find them, we have a trainer's meeting usually that evening. Um, sometimes there's a dinner. It just kind of depends on which makeover it is. Um, uh, at the meeting we're given our paperwork, which basically have like our patterns in there for our trail class and things like that. Um, and then usually, uh, that's, we'll also get the lineup of where we are, where we, you know, where we start the next day. So for first or fifth or whatever. And, um, then the next day it's, it's anywhere from sometimes it's eight o'clock in the morning, sometimes it's nine o'clock in the morning that we start. Um, and it's usually always the handling and conditioning class, okay. uh, which one that's in hand and uh or we take them into the round pen we show how easy it is we like let them go in the round pen I should say that take their halter off and then we show how easy it is um to catch them so like we let them okay. go walk out of the round pen for a minute and then they let us back in catch our horse we come out we show how they'll stand for us to brush them um usually we'll do a little kind of trot in hand uh we'll show that we can pick up all four of their feet and then we'll show how easy it is for them to load up in a trailer. And then that uh-huh. class is, um, sometimes we had the, the one class during a day. And then sometimes there's two classes on one day and one class on the next day. 
Uh, so like usually the ones I've always done, we had the handling conditioning and then we'd have the uh, maneuvers class on the same day. And so what is maneuvers? Um, that one is basically where we're showing the different transitions from, you know, showing the walk to the trot, the extended trot to the canter. Oh. And, uh, we, we basically will, they have it marked around the arena with signs. So like you would come in and walk to a certain point and then that sign would say pick up a trot, you would trot. The next sign would say extended trot. You'd pick up an extended trot. The next sign would say lope. So you'd lope to another spot. Usually it's stop. You'll stand there for a second, you know, gather your horse. Cause that's the one thing I always learned is you have to take it easy, not to rush it. Um, stop, gather your horse. Basically you'll pivot them around the other direction. And then usually it's walk a few steps. And then usually it's going into a lope, coming back around to another sign. And then you break down into a trot and then to stop then there'll be a sign that says stop and then you'll usually back up and then you're done. And that's, and that's under saddle. Yes. Yeah. And I've so seen somebody do it in hand though before. So does the youth do all of the same things as the adult group? Uh, no, usually the, they do have the handling conditioning class, but then they have, um, they have a patterns class, which will just be something like where they'll have the cones out and they'll, like, say they'll walk to a cone, then trot to the next cone, maybe have them, you know, spin to the left and spin to the right all in hand. Oh, um, and okay. okay. Like, trot to another cone. Uh, you know, and they'll show, they'll basically, they'll show all the things. They'll show a 360 to the right, 360 to the left, a backing up, um, and a side passing either direction, whichever sure. one. And they tell you. And, and then you the usually get paired up with, uh, with younger horses, right? Like yearlings to year, two year olds. Yeah, usually a yearling to a two year old is what the youth have. So, and our horses are supposed to be three years old and up on okay. the adult horses. And then there's the freestyle at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like That's the youth will have the, the handling conditioning, the pattern, then they'll have a trail class and then they'll all do a freestyle. And freestyle can be anything you want. You could do dressage yeah. if you wanted. You could dress up in costumes. Maureen, you took some pictures of a, a Yoshi and Peach that I oh, just, yeah, and, and that, a Hulk Hogan. Who yeah. was Hulk Hogan? Oh <laughs> the, my for, God. For the one that I went to, um, uh, one of the youth kids did the Hulk Hogan uh, routine. And then um, uh, and then the, the Yoshi and Princess Peach freestyle was done by, uh, I want to say it's Camille... I can't remember her last name, but she's really big here in Texas. I think she's yeah. in a uh, college station area and, uh, and her horse Yoshi. That's super cool. Um, so what, what, what kind of creative things have you done for your freestyles, Stacy? Hmm. I mean, I have, I actually, have you done any costumes? Yeah. Oh yeah. Most of my freestyles <laughs> have all been in the open because unfortunately I have not been good enough yet with the right horse to make the top 10 that is a goal of mine but that's hard i mean these trainers yeah. are like cream of the crop yeah and, well to give, to give our listeners an idea they there are like what 20 ish horses maybe more i can't remember exactly how many we're doing in the extreme mustang makeover um and the adult 
group, uh, but however many they have, the only people that get to perform their freestyle are the top 10. So you could have put all that work into an an amazing freestyle and nobody will ever see it if you're number 11. That's duty poo poo. I don't yeah. like that. Everybody should get a freestyle. <laughs> However, all the really youth get to perform their, their freestyle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we should petition for change. I don't like that. Um, <laughs> so I always like this story of, um, and you talked about this when we did our interview. You talk about your very first horse, and I can't remember her name, the gray one. Shadow. Shadow. Shadow was uh, your very first Mustang, mm-hmm. and you took her to an open quarter horse class, mm-hmm. right? Tell us, tell us that story again, because I just love this story. Yeah, because her, um, you know, their bra- their brand is on you know the left side. Well, I never trained her mane to go to the other side so you could see her brand. Um, so she's built like a quarter horse. She really is. I mean, yeah, she's a beautiful mare. And, uh, she, I, we went into the halter class and, you know, she's got her hair, you know, down. So nobody knows <laughs> we're incognito. It's an open breed still kind of on that, in that yeah, open breed. Right. And, um, I think I was the only Mustang that was in there in that one. And we go in there and she ends up winning on that one. She got first place in the halter class which there were some really good looking horses in there. So I was actually super excited about that. Well, there was a guy that got, um, that came over and he's like, I really like your horse. You know, how was she bred? And I was like, well, she's actually a Mustang. And he flipped out. He's like, how can, how can you do that? How can you come in here, you know, with your um, range rat, basically. Eat a dick. But yeah, <laughs> you know, and you know, he didn't believe me. I mean, I had to move her mane out of the way for him to see her brand. And he's just like, he just threw a fit. He could not believe that my Mustang beat his purebred as he, you know, called it. And we just talked about this, right, Maureen? We talked about yeah. how money makes people feel entitled to oh, a yeah. certain degree, right? Of anything. Doesn't matter if it's recognition, competition, money, like. I, I was like, yeah, I was like, my Mustang just whooped your little purebred's butt, you know, and and she doesn't have arthritis. <laughs> so yeah, that was fun. I do like to go to open shows, and I and I won't tell anybody. Most people know now that she's a Mustang, but yeah, if I try to go to newer ones, nobody knows. I'll I'll slide in there to an open breeds, and I won't tell anybody she's a Mustang until afterwards. That's too so. funny. Um, and I think at this last one, actually, the one you photographed, Maureen, Jeff Cook was there. Yes, mm-hmm. he was. On a, yep. on a Palomino. Um, Jeff Cook is a native Arizonan. Uh, very well-known trainer out here. In fact, uh, we are one degree separated in people that we know. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah Jeff, I was. Jeff, was uh, Jeff won this year's Oklahoma City Mustang makeover with um, Desert Rose. And he, yeah, it was fun. The big, the big thing that Stormy, who uh, is a big, big person in for the Mustang Heritage Foundation, the big thing that um, that Kepkin pointed out with uh, with him was that he was uh, the senior sh- person showing <laughs> in the in the top ten, but and he that actually, he had he was only the senior person by like a year. 
Yeah, exactly. And, um, and then he was also had the oldest horse. Uh, Desert Rose was an eight-year-old. Yeah, well, there's a lot to be said about allowing a horse to mature mentally um, before oh, yeah. you ask them to do anything. You know, that's why when I saw Sully, I snatched him up because he was relatively uh, unhandled and he was in his eight-year-old year. Um, and it's really, it's really benefited him. So, yeah, so uh, somebody was trying to get me to go out to Jeff's place last year. And I was like, uh, it was during COVID and everything. So I didn't go. But, um, and so the hard part for me, and we've talked a little bit about this before, Stacy, is that these horses get auctioned mm -hmm. after. And so if you become attached to this horse and you don't win that auction, well, tough cookies. Please suck. <laughs> Is that especially because, you know, the top 10 horses don't always go for a whole lot of yeah. money. But then if you've got something that looks really good, you know, somebody's going to be willing to pay the money. So then we're like, holy crap, we got to try to make sure that we have this money put yeah. back in yeah, order to I can try tell you to bid against these. The, uh, the top seller at the Oklahoma City went for $17,000. And I don't even think that's the most expensive horse to ever be uh, auctioned. I, think, um, I want to say it was it was forty dollars or $50,000. Yeah, the, I was going to say like $45,000. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's great, though. The one thing I don't like is, is the time cap. But there's good and bad to that. You know, I think yeah. um, <clears throat> putting a time cap on something uh, prevents trainers from a shuffle footing around. Yeah. I'm very, I'm very guilty of that. I shuffle foot around a lot because there's no time pressure on me. These are all my horses I work with. Um, and so I can take as long as I want. It doesn't matter. Um, but at the same time, <clears throat> saying that, okay, we well, have four months to do X, Y, Z with an animal. Every animal is not always going to fit into that mold. Um, so that's, that's kind of the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I took shadow for the open, but that's why my mare didn't, didn't make it. I still have her out there. I've got her in the tip deal. Um, but yeah, she, she wasn't going to make it there. She wasn't ready. But that is the one thing that is why I will still endorse and stand behind this competition because trainers are so willing to say my horse is not ready. And not compete or pull their horse. Maureen, you talked about a horse that was pulled for a vet check um, during competition because of a soundness issue or something. Yeah, uh, it was actually one of the top 10 competitors. They were going out to do their maneuvers before the freestyle. And um, her horse was just refusing to go through the gate. They were trying everything to get her to go through. She finally got her through. She actually had to dismount and walk her into the arena, got back on, and the mayor went down. She, so like she lost all of her time to do the maneuvers because it's a, it's a timed event. You only have so much time to complete the maneuvers. Um, and she pulled herself completely out of the competition and got the horse yeah. that checked and everything. And it turned out that from what I understand, it was just that she was very sore from, they traveled a very long distance and, um, a, you know, two days of competition where they're all day riding and warming up and everything else and practicing and everything. Um, she ended up being okay, but then I was very, but I was very, yeah, I was very impressed that she pulled herself from the top 10 competition 
and was more concerned about the safety of her horse, who technically wasn't even her horse yet. She did end up uh, purchasing her in the auction later, but um, I thought it was very commemorable for her to say, something's not right, not right right now, I'm going to step away. Yeah. And so many trainers that do this competition do that, as opposed to the uh, community and the environments and a lot of other styles of competition. Uh, barrel racing is very notorious for this. Roping is very notorious for this. Um, and especially in the English community, it's almost uh, endemic there. I mean, look at what happened at the Olympics with Saints Boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was shuffling and juggling around of horses after the fact that they claimed to be Saints Boy that very obviously was not him. I mean, the, the photos that they submitted were taken in the winter yeah um of a different horse so there's just a a greater emphasis placed on the psychological and physical well-being of the animal um rather than the spirit of competition or any inherent money that might be involved and i think that is so intrinsically valuable and the 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 horse community as a whole needs that now more than ever Mm. um it's 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 taking the priorities and putting them back where they need to be um and because because stacy you're not the only one i know brian has intended on competing a, a few horses and decided they weren't ready yeah and that's so important i mean i know a lot of people in the professional competitive community who uh will just beat their animal oh yeah yeah. Just beat them. Beat them and give them some decks and say, suck it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's technically nothing illegal about that. Right? No. Like most co- most competitions will allow you to beat or dex your animal. As long as you have a vet's uh, sign off. Then right. You can do it. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, is there sportsmanship in it? No. Yeah. Um, and it it says a lot about the priorities of the person, unfortunately. So um, that, that right there is why I don't take a lot of, um, I take hardly any uh, competitive mentorship clients um, because that is, that is where I draw the line with my ethics and my morals. Mm-hmm. Um, your animal well-being must always come first. Always, always, always. Relationship first. You can't put relationship first without well-being. Um, and that's something that this competition definitely does. I'm sure that that example, Maureen, is probably not the only example. Um, oh, I'm sure not. <laughs> I actually saw several posts later on um, when I started following competitors on Instagram and everything like that. And they were, you know, are all tagging each other in photos and commenting and everything. And there were actually a lot of youth as well where their horses, before they even left their state to come to the competition, got hurt in some way, shape, or form, and they did not come. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And, and I think that there's a big difference in sportsmanship, too. Um, the atmosphere in terms of sportsmanship, it seems a lot different. And Stacy, as someone who used to barrel race that has now done several of these competitions, um, what are the key differences that you notice? Everybody is a heck of a lot su- more supportive um, in the Mustang community <laughs> than in the barrel community. I mean... There's, you know, there's the, your people, you know, that are very, 
you know, like, Hey, let's do this, you know, and they're always cheering for you and you're running barrels and stuff like that. But a lot of the times in barrel racing, it seems that once you're not on top for a little while, you have now become nothing. Absolutely. So yep. In the Mustang deal, it, it doesn't, you know, most of us are pretty much treated the exact same way from someone that has won it multiple times, someone that's made, you know, the top 10 once um, compared to, uh, you know, some of them that have never made the top 10 like myself, you know, I have yet to make the top 10. And, you know, uh, I'm going to keep trying, but I haven't yet. <laughs> you know, we're all, we're all usually there to help each other, you know, and there's, of course, a few of them out there that, you know, are kind of keep to themselves for the most part. But majority of everyone is like, you know, hey, way to go. Let's do this. Let me help you. Like, you know, uh, Nate Iker, he lives r- literally right down the road for me, like five minutes. And so I go over there and ride all the time. You know, and cool. the nicest dadgum people you've ever <laughs> in your entire life. You know, and they're, it's just everybody's so willing to help another person. Like, if you're having an issue with your horse, we always tell all the new trainers and stuff like that, please, you know, ask questions to other trainers, you know, look for advice, look for help. You know, it's, you're not stuck. It, you know, you might yeah. be but one of these other trainers may know something that you can try and see if that will help because these Mustangs are so much different on training than a domestic. They really are. Period. See, yeah. somebody else has finally said it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, I, well, too, I feel I like, I, I feel like a lot of it too, is that, you know, with barrel racing, it's, you're only benefiting yourself. Whereas with yeah. the extreme Mustang makeover, you're benefiting the horse and promoting their adoption and everything like that. So I feel like if I had to say one thing that would probably be the biggest difference between them is that you are barrel racing. It's you're in it for yourself. And with the Mustang competitions, it's you're in it for the community. Yeah. Right. Well, and the whole point of the Mustang heritage foundation and the extreme Mustang makeover competition is advocacy. It's advocating for the animal um, advocating for range preservation, uh, for the animal rights. Um, and I think that the difference in community and the difference in, um, well, the difference that it makes in the trainers and the riders is a testament to the medicine these horses offer. Right. And I talk about that a lot, but there's no better example of that than this competition, because there's no reason There's no other reason that this competition couldn't have become just as nasty as any dressage test, as any cross-country course, or as any barrel race. There's no reason. Aside from the fact that these animals have so much good medicine to give, and they do it so freely and willingly on themselves. And so we see these differences. Yeah, I see them especially. So I'm in two different Facebook groups, uh, horse-related Facebook groups. I'm in the BLM Mustang family, uh, and I'm in the Arizona Horses and Everything Equine. And so the example I like to give is when somebody posts a picture of the Arizona Horses and Everything Equine group, and they're asking for help, or they're not even looking for help. They're just like wanting to sell their horse or, or whatever, looking for recommendations. People are so nasty in the fucking comments. Oh my god, they're just brutal every fuck every fucking time. 
every time. I mean, I rush to the comments because it's it's good entertainment, but but how sad. And versus in in the BLM Mustang family group, it's the complete opposite. You ask for help and there are dozens of people straight away offering suggestions, referring new to trainers. Um, you know, when we had the wildfires in Arizona, people were offering uh, barn space and empty corrals, uh, horse trailers. Um, <coughs> it's just a complete difference in in the in the nature of the community, in the attitudes of the people. Um, and I, I genuinely do chalk that up to the horses and how these horses are able to change people's perspective and, and heal them. And I know it sounds like, it sounds like hippie shit, but go and get yourself one and see what, see what you think then. (laughs) I know. Yeah, no, I totally agree (laughs) with that. I mean, even, especially since I have quarter horses with my Mustang, I see the difference in how they interact with people. And there's just something about chap where he, he just touches a different part of your soul compared to the other domesticated horses. Like I even see, I saw it, especially this weekend, I took chap to his second show in hand and, um, I had my kids with me and he, the way he was interacting with my daughter, Arlette was just is, is totally different from like how her quarter horse interacts with her. And I'm always going to bring it back to money always because uh, that is firmly what I believe that it is, you know, these horses, whether or not um, that horse that you have, that quarter horse, that Frisian, whatever the case is, was intentionally bred for a profit doesn't matter because they come from generations and generations of horses that were bred for a profit or to profit in some way financially. And Mustangs have never, never had that. Um, uh, ha- they've never had money take their medicine in that way or poison their medicine. Um, that is my only concern with the way the Mustang Heritage Foundation operates and the, especially the BLM because it is for profit. Um, and I worry that over time that will start to seep into the way the horses are handled. Um, but so far so good, honestly. I actually know of one trainer. Um, I don't know the guy's name. Uh, I was just, I was told by one of the BLM guys, um, uh, but then also another person that was following this, this trainer that um, he actually got his horse taken away because I guess he was, he was being very cruel to this horse on whatever his training method was. And the idiot put it a video of it on Facebook, you know, saying of, Oh, look what I did with my horse. You know, look, look how, how he's, he's, just one day, you know, I've got the saddle on him and he's laying down kind of thing, you know, well, it turned out that the dude had roped the horse and saddled it, but then tied him down on the ground and left him, like, just left him there, like went and ran errands, just left the horse there. What? Three of the day tied to the ground, you know, and so, uh, 
you know, that went, that was one of the BLM guys and that, that BLM guy went out and, you know, saw the horse and took the horse right then. Oh, wow. From what I've been told, that person is not allowed to ever do anything with any Mustangs again. Like he's not, he's on the do not adopt list, do not compete, all that stuff. I have a tremendous amount of respect for our community um, on that front as well. There is an absolute zero tolerance policy for that type of bullshit. Yeah. Um, and like that was immediate affirmative action, right? Like yeah. they immediately went out and did something about it. Whereas like uh, I'm going through a situation right now with someone locally who's a horse trader and has about 30 head of horses on less than two acres none of them have clean water none of them have food none their stalls have never been cleaned she's got six to eight yearlings in a pen together a 10 by 10 pen uh two of which are like dragging lead ropes on the ground they're with their halters on um yeah it's 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 terrible so we're going to confiscate a couple of animals from the property uh on thursday and I'm, I'm lending my services. Um, <clears throat> but in order to do that, somebody actually had to purchase animals. Like contacting law enforcement wasn't enough. Yeah. Law enforcement was like, I'm like, she's in violation of county code. County code specifically says one, uh, one head per acre. Nice. And, and nobody was willing to do anything about it. <laughs> That's what's so sad. Right. Um, and a lot of her horses, unfortunately, are Mustangs. So, um, <clears throat> yeah. And, and so she gets her animals from either the BLM or secondhand from tip adopters. And I plan, I plan on sorting out that information. Who is she getting these animals from so that I can put her name on a do not adopt list. Because I now have, I now have pictures and video of the facility of the conditions these animals are living in. They're all, by the way, uh, severely underweight, have never been wormed, have never been vaccinated. Uh, and I, yeah, I can't help but think that if the right people knew about it, they would do something at least, at least for the, the, the Mustang. Yeah. Um, because there's even very specific requirements as far as, you know, if you want to adopt a Mustang, you have to have the facilities to do so. Um, and the BLM is very particular about, about what those facilities have to look like. Um, the size of the stall, the access to water, um, how tall the paneling or the fencing is. Can't be, I don't even think it can be wood paneling, can it? It has to be. But it has to be uh, like a two by I think a two by six is the smallest you can use in there um, okay yeah a two you can you want to use usually about like two by eight or you know something like that something that's got some you know stuff to it right <laughs> but I mean but it's ethical you know there's like an ethical um what's the word I'm looking for filter there's an ethical filter on who can and can't have these animals yeah. um, all the way down to the facilities that you can have yeah. um I don't agree with a lot of the the propaganda that goes on a lot of the misinformation um you know 
the BLM is very <clears throat> vocal about how none of their animals end up in kill pens, which is horseshit. Um, <clears throat> I could send you links to a dozen kill pens right now that have uh, just heaps of Mustangs, branded, titled, some aren't titled. Um, it happens. But I think that they should just work on being more transparent with the public about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but and another thing, though, on their their issue, I think they're not so transparent on a lot of it. Not that I'm totally defending them, but, um, you know, because they're constantly being sued by some group, you know, about something. Right. And so I think that's why they've kind of pulled back on some of it. But, yeah, I, I think they should totally be completely transparent about all of it and just be like, hey, this is how it is. You know, put, just put it all out there. Whether good or bad, put it out there. And again, you know, it, it comes back to honesty for me. Like, I don't, I don't think, you know, that the way we conduct horse slaughter in the United States is, is ethical. It's still happening. Yeah. Um, except now these animals have to be trucked to another country to do it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, these animal rights activists did not do these animals any favors by getting horse slaughter outlawed in the U.S. All you did was prolong their suffering. Yep. And make um, them all shove into a tiny trailer for God knows how many hours. Yeah, onto cattle trailers, which in yeah. multiple states is federally illegal. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of those states are states you have to drive through to get to the border yep. in order to take these animals to slaughter. So, um, and people are like, oh, no. That's illegal. That doesn't happen. Okay, well, so is murder, and people commit murder all the time. So, um, <laughs> you need to check your the perspective that you're looking through the world in, because if you think that this industry is free of flaw, you're wrong. Um, and if you do want to make actual change, you've got to start holding people accountable for it. And I think that starts with integrity. Um, I see less issues with the BLM than I do with other organizations. You know, like. Yeah. Uh, a lot of these animal rights activists on TikTok, et cetera, that really get under my skin have of what's going on. So they're speaking out or they think that they're speaking out in the benefit of these animals. Um, and in reality, they're talking out of their ass because they, they don't well, have a lot of going on. Yeah. Well, because then that's the, the big thing that a lot of these people don't understand is like, you know, they're talking about this Saltwells Creek, you know, uh, you know, deal. Well, everybody's like oh well you know we've seen pictures they've got stuff to eat I'm like have you actually been there though you know have you actually been there to see all of it on some of the stuff here's what annoys me about that unless you have like more than a fundamental un and I said more more than yeah. a fundamental understanding of equine nutrition yes. and what type what type of forage is sustainable for a horse then yeah. shut the fuck up yeah shut the fuck up because you don't know what the fuck you're talking about if you don't, if you don't know the difference, uh, in 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 terms of what forages are high in starch mm -hmm. versus uh, high in sugar or protein, then then you're not educated enough to talk to talk about it. Yeah, period. And that's the way most of them are. They just they kind of join a bandwagon, you know, of the right. other. And where's that? Where's that same energy? Right? They want to get they want to get their panties in a bunch about these mustangs. But where is that same energy for all these breeding farms that are yeah. breeding horses? And when they don't sell at the yearling sale, they go straight to the kill pen. Yep. They're getting put on trucks just the same. Mm -hmm. um, 
where was the outrage when it became illegal for indigenous people to round up horses on their own land? Yeah. That we've been using for centuries. So it so it's only it's only a problem for you guys. Yeah. But we've been complaining about it for decades upon decades upon decades. And it was never a problem then. Um <clears throat> And it, it starts with legislation and, and properly educating yourself. And you know what? Again, if you're not educated enough to speak on an issue, shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. Shut your mouth because you're not helping. Nope. Um, you think that you're helping these animals, but look at what you've done. All these animal rights activists, all they have done is prolong the suffering and, and create worse suffering for them. Mm-hmm. Um, at, least, at least when horse slaughter was done in the U.S., it was heavily regulated. Yeah. And yeah. these animals, these animals were sedated and they were not suffering. Mm-hmm. You cannot guarantee that's happening in Mexico or Canada. Oh, you know, damn well, it's not happening over there. For sure. <laughs> um, or they're like, oh, well, pregnant horses can't be sent to bullshit. Yeah. It happens yeah. every day. They have, yeah. they have, they fall <laughs> on these trailers, on these mm-hmm. cattle trucks. It happens every day. So you know, if you really care about these animals, you need to stay silent and allow the people that are educated enough to actually advocate for them. Yeah. Um, and you need to pay attention for the legislation you're voting for. Yep. Um, period. And if you're unwilling to do those two things, you need to sit back and think about whether or not you're really an advocate. Um, because that's where advocacy actually starts. It starts with education and it starts with how you vote. Mm-hmm period um taking hay out and dumping bales of alfalfa out for these animals because you think they're starving that's not advocacy that is doing so much harm and we see this all the time especially in like nevada Mm -hmm. um those horses are so habituated to people because people will just take big bales of alfalfa and dump them out there for people for, for the horses to to eat off of and I'm like, do you have any idea what a bale of alfalfa in the middle of winter is going to do to them? Yeah. They're going right. to fucking colic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to colic. So congratulations. Yeah. You just killed at least 10 of those horses. Um, and, 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 and leave them alone. You know, stop fucking with the wildlife because they are. They're wildlife until they're gentle. And they're handled by a professional trainer. They are considered part of the wildlife. They're part of the BLM and, or the Mustang and Burrow Act, Wild Horse and Burrow Act of, I think it was 84. Um, quit fucking with the wildlife because you're habituating them to people, but they're still just as dangerous. So now they're just going to get closer to people before they kick, bite, and strike at them. Yep. Um, <clears throat> so what is, what is your takeaway as far as the competition, though? What is your, like, the thing that you find the most profound or the thing that you would change? What is that thing for you? Um, I mean, I, I just think on some of the way the format is on, you know, the divisions and stuff, I think, I really think that if you, you actually divide it up a little bit more, because they've done it once. I think it was the Supreme Extreme. Oh. Um so they, they have done it before. It was like right in the kind of the early stages of it to where they actually had in the adult class, they had an in-hand class 
And then you had like an amateur class, you know, you had a pro class, you know, so that way some of these up and coming trainers that are just trying to get out there are not necessarily automatically just thrown into to competing against the ones that have done it 5 million times or discouraged. Yeah. Yeah. They're then they're discouraged and they're like, well, I don't want to do this anymore. You know? And so I really think changing it and giving more divisions, like in the adult class and stuff like that, I I really think that'll bring more people in. And then that of course will get more horses into homes. Yeah. You hear that Stormy? Take notes. (laughs) Stormy actually lives um, right down the road for me too. So he hears about, he hears from me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, and I, I agree. I think that the extreme Mustang makeover is an excellent place for education and advocacy to start. Yeah. It's an excellent place to showcase what these animals are capable of and the relationship they're capable of. I think it would be so beneficial and I think more people would participate. Yeah. Right. And when, when more people participate, more people become educated. Mm-hmm. more people become advocates and more horses get adopted yeah. period that should be the goal at the end of the day um but what do you think that separation should look like what do you think the criteria should be uh well i mean i i think it's uh basically like most of your other shows that you go to you've actually you know uh won money you know at a big show or if you've actually been paid to train a horse from you know for somebody else if you're an actual paid trainer then you're automatically in with the other big wigs if you'd the you other should. group yeah yeah um if you have not actually had any of that then you know you're in the, the amateur group you know or you could get into the beginner group like i always tell people on, on are interested in doing the makeover to try a tip challenge um because it's all at hand and yeah. a lot of them, if they've never had a Mustang at all and they've never worked with one, I always tell them, you know, get a yearling. Yeah. yeah and, you know, tips tips are a great place to start because yeah. the, the expectation is very clear yeah. and, and very minimal, right? Being able to trailer, yeah. being able to, to lead, being easy to catch, mm-hmm. and uh, being able to pick up all four feet. Yep. I think those and- are the only requirements, right? Yeah, uh, like in the actual competition, you know, we have to have them, uh, you know, doing like a 360, you know, from the ground, just basically turning. Oh, okay. Um, and then we have to have them side passing and then they have to be able to back, you know. So okay. pretty much the same stuff is under saddle, but just all in hand. And it's, there's less pressure for sure. You yeah, know? I think, you know, doing something like amateur and then beginner yeah. and pro. Or maybe amateur, beginner, advanced, and pro. Yeah. Maybe divvies it up a little more. And then uh, I think the separating factors in the middle would probably be which aspects of the competition uh, you participate in. Yeah. Right? Like you could still do, you could still do everything else, but you don't do the freestyle until Mm -hmm. the pro category or until you reach the top 10. I think that's booty. I don't like that. I think everybody should get a freestyle. No, that's I love most- freestyle. Is my favorite. I- Stormy, that's whack. <laughs> I, that's that's bullshit. That's what everybody wants I to think- see. Everybody wants to see the freestyle. I think a lot of it though is, yeah, is the whole time. I don't give a damn because then they, you know, a whole nother day. I don't give a damn because <laughs> that means there's there's a way around that. There's a way around that. It's very easy. Okay, so you have your your top ten doing their freestyles over yeah. here. 
Yeah. And then over here, everybody else gets to do their freestyles. Yeah. And then spectators can choose who they want to go see or maybe it's at different times. I can see you, donkey. She's coming back for round two this time. <laughs> this time we've got the jump on her, though. She's not very sneaky. I can see I can see her ears from behind the pallets, that jerk. Um yeah, I, I think everybody should get a freestyle. That's that's my opinion. Um and I do think I agree. I think that it should be further segregate segregated into different classes because that's gonna get more people participating. And that's that's how you get people interested and get people excited. Because it's like yeah. you said, if if I'm not an advanced trainer, um, I don't want to be competing in the same class as a Jeff Cook. I'm saying yeah. this as a hypothetical because I totally would compete against Jeff Cook. Uh, you you heard that, Jeff. You heard it straight from me. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but I think that's a great place to start. And these are also regional, as I understand it. You know, there's a Extreme Mustang Makeover in New Jersey. There's the Oklahoma. Um, I don't know if there's if there's one in Texas, right? Usually, that's the bigger the biggest one they have. Usually, is the one in yeah. Texas. Um, this year, I think their bigger one ended up being Oklahoma City. I think um, what okay. happened from from what I understand from talking to people at it was that they usually do it in Texas, but the, with COVID and everything and having to move stuff around that where they usually have it in Texas, they weren't able to get it for that date. So they went to Oklahoma City to, to, um, to, to use their venue. But I've heard speckled here and there um that people liked oklahoma city better than texas yeah. so they might be moving it there permanently um but i do know that in j this coming january they're doing a, a big event in <laughs> i know they're doing a big event in uh yeah at the the fort worth stock and rodeo stock show and rodeo right the stock show. yeah what, what are they calling that right now yeah they're having the um they'll have the, the the rising stars is the day before um the uh oh golly what do they call the other guys now i can't even think of the darn name of it hold on i'm pulling so it up right now to, to so what's it. the super bowl of the mustang makeover is there a super bowl or no usually the one that usually had the most money was always fort worth okay that was well, always put out the most money I and think, that was the one that you normally had a lot of people that really showed up for that one. I think if they wanted to take it a step further, like if let's say they did implement different classes, mm -hmm. um, taking it a step further would be um, like doing a Super Bowl event where like the top 10, the top 10 from every state or the top 10 <laughs> from the five biggest states get to compete all together at, at the end of the year or something. Um, and then they all get a fresh horse, you know, the top 10 from, let's say Texas, Oklahoma, Arizona, Nevada, whatever, all compete against or the top five, the top five from all these particular States. You could even separate it from West coast, Midwest, uh, East coast, do a super bowl event where they get a fresh horse and, and only the pros compete against each other. Yeah, that would actually be a really good idea. I think. It kind of yeah. sounds like you that's hear that. The, you hear 
it kind of sounds like that's what this is going to be. Um, so for those who are in the Fort Worth area, if you're interested in doing something in January, it is called the Mustang Magic Celebrity Freestyle. It is from January 21st to the 22nd. And it is the best trainers and entertainers will return to showcase the talents of their Mustangs through a freestyle routine and compete for $50,000 in cash and prizes on Saturday night, January 22nd. But they don't, I think they, they don't get a, a fresh wild horse. They can use whatever horse they have already. Like gotcha. whatever Mustang they, if they have, it doesn't even be their Mustang. It could be somebody else's Mustang that they do this uh, freestyle with. See, uh, I, I don't think that makes any sense. I don't think that lot, makes any sense. Because like they using Mercedes, probably. He's either using Mercedes or Nacho. Um, but yeah, you'll... Uh, they get to use a horse that they they actually already own. Huh. It's one of their own personal horses. See, I like I like my idea because it it puts the it puts the competitive spirit back on the trainer. Like everybody yeah. gets a fresh horse, and you're starting from zero. Yeah. And now all the top trainers from different parts of the country compete together. Um, just saying. Yeah, I think it's a yeah, great idea. This one, it's uh, they. They kind of picked and choosed on who they were they were picking, but it's all all of them have made the top ten at least once or twice um, yeah. that are put into this competition. Even the Rising Star one, they've all made the top ten at some point in time. Um, and so the the Rising Star is the day before this one, the celebrity uh, freestyle, and they're competing to have a spot in celebrity day with their freestyle that they do the day before you know what else but with their own horse that they've had they need to they somebody needs to reach out to animal planet because this is a way better show than <laughs> that damn english that damn english lady that trains dogs i'm just saying if you need a host i promise i will take care of my allergies uh and i'll, I'll host this show i will uh, I'd be a great host. I think yeah. it'd be a great show. I think a lot of people would watch it. Um, mm -hmm. And Animal Planet's really gotten to shit lately, so they could use a they could use a revamp. Um, anybody have closing thoughts? Uh, not really. <laughs> Stacy, Stacy's kept. I, I really like that y'all are actually, you know, y'all are talking to people and putting it out there with all the different you know ideas and things that could change to help the more of these animals you know yeah. find homes you know and good homes because of how good these horses really are I mean because these, these horses do and I know it does sound cheesy but they speak to your no, soul they, they really do they do I've said it multiple you know? times they not now yeah. you've heard another person say it and yeah, she's kept she's kept 14 of them so yeah. obviously <laughs> They bond to you. They bond to you. I mean, that's your horse. Like my shadow. Um, you know, there's only been one other person that has ever rode her, and that's Nate. You know, yeah. and Who the hell is Nate? Nate Iker. <laughs> Nate Iker has won four or five makeovers. Oh, um, okay. And um, multiple, you know, top ten stuff. I mean, he's gotcha. that an amazing horse trainer. I mean, he yeah. is flat amazing in what he can See, do. I want to, 
I want to do one of these, but I'm going to be honest. My ADHD doesn't have me with the best sense of time in my head. So uh, there's that. I don't know. I just, well, then you just have, if you want, you do want to do it, then, you know, you just have one of us other trainers that are going to hound the hell out of you every single day and be like, that's hey, true. You get out there with your horse. You know, That's show me video of this that actually happened. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I also, but I also don't have six rail panels at the moment. So that's the other, that's the other. And, and I love that. I love that. And probably where to get those. Yeah, but I, we'll see. But next year, next year, I probably will do it. So right now I'm, I'm leasing a ranch. Um, so once I'm at my own facility, I, I probably will. Um, I'd like to be somewhere that doesn't have barbed wire perimeter fence. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, just in just in case. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, I think it's it. Well, the way I see it, right, and this is going to be kind of my closing thought. Is the way I see it, these animals are going to be in holding regardless. Yeah. No matter what anybody tries to do or pitch a fit about, it doesn't matter. The U.S. government has decided that this is the way they're going to do things. And if you think that there's any changing their mind, just look at the way they've treated indigenous treaty rights over the last couple hundred years. They don't give a fuck about you or your opinions. Okay. Especially about some goddamn horses. Um, so they're going to get rounded up by helicopters and put in holding pens, no matter what we say or do. So all we can do as people who give a shit is advocate for these animals and try to get the word out there that they are worth the time. They oh, are. Yeah. Um, as many people as we can get talking about it, as many people as we can get impassioned about it, the better. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, constantly, you have to be constantly putting it out into the world because you don't, you don't know. You might've mentioned it to that quarter horse person down the road one time, but on the fifth time, they finally decide, Hey, you know what? I think I'm going to try one of these horses. Um, you just never know when it's going to reach someone, uh, at the right point in their life. And so I'll keep doing it. I'll keep doing it till I'm blue in the face. It's fine. Yeah, me too. <clears throat> I'm what a, I'm a horrible enabler. You are a horrible enabler. That's a fact. I um, <laughs> and, and what about what about you, Maureen? As someone that was there and saw all these competitors, um, I feel like you really came back with a fresh mindset after that. Yeah, I was just you know, my my only. Uh, experience with Mustangs has been with Chap and Chap technically isn't even a Mustang. Um, you know, I've said in previous episodes that I call him wild adjacent. Um, he, but going there and seeing, you can feel the bond between oh, yeah. these people and their horses. And I felt like these were people that understood the bond that I had with Chap. Yeah. And people that were much more like-minded than with me than, you know, like the quarter horse community. Um, yeah. and there is just, I don't know. It's, it's really hard to explain if you have never been around Mustangs and Mustang people going to one of these shows and, and you can physically feel the difference in the energy they're, of that space. They're that spiritually just, present with you. Yes. They are. Mm -hmm. When you're with when you're with your horse, they are spiritually present with you. You can you can feel their presence. Yes. Um, and it's but different. It's, it's, it's not and, something. Yeah, it's different with the Mustangs though, because you know, I, 
I don't doubt that there are people out there listening that have great, awesome relationships with their horses, um, their, their quarter horse, their thoroughbred, their whatever, but there is just something different about a Mustang. And it's not something that you can explain to anybody else. It's something that they physically have to experience. And then you can look at each other and be like, you see the difference and they just know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Stacy, when I interviewed Stacy the first time, I was still um, getting treated for my heart failure. So um, I didn't have any intention of buying a fucking horse, let alone an unstarted horse with a long track record of behavioral issues and hurting people. Um, but something just spoke to me about him. Period. Uh, <laughs> and that's not to say that there, everybody out there listening is a Mustang person within their soul, you know, you might, right. You, you could go out there and be, and, and go to a Mustang makeover and watch and be like, I really enjoyed this. This was really cool. Mustangs are pretty neat little horses, but you're, you may not feel that kind of pull that like the three of us have felt in being more involved with that community. Not yeah. to say they're little as in like physically little. I mean, some of them aren't, <laughs> but most of them, yeah. most of them are going to look like your roadies and sellies where they're, you know, b- decent full-bodied horses, um, right. which is another thing. You know, I encourage people to go to these events to see the wide variety of confirmation colors and sizes that they are, because there's this misconception that all Mustangs are true. I mean, Cricket is certainly my daintiest horse uh, and she's kind of got a thinner frame. But then you have Sully, who looks like a slightly smaller version of a Pertron. And he yeah. is, he is a, per- he does have Pertron in him. So um, just have an open mind and at least go to an event if you can. If you're in the United States, look up, go out to the Mustang Heritage Foundation, find the next event in your state that is within feasible traveling distance to you. And if you can't, uh, I think they broadcast right? They broadcast a certain amount of it. Watch one, at least watch one, at least commit to doing that for me. Um, and I'll be happy. (laughs) Yeah. Cause they're amazing. I mean, they, they speak for themselves when you watch them out there. Obviously, because you've got 14 of them. So (laughs) I love them. I love all of them. They're all my babies. (laughs) And on that note, we will see you guys next time.